previously on Marvel Moments. I, Matt, was joined by Kerry and Nick Carnes, Marvel fans and parents of an assembled family dynamic, to discuss all things family in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We explored questions of what makes an authentic family in Black Widow and WandaVision, orphan tropes with Loki and Thor, what binds a family of choice with Guardians of the Galaxy, and how might we escape cycles of the past with the Stark Dynasty and the Red Room. That episode, Assembled Family in the Marvel Cinematic Universe Part 1, is available now on your podcast app. You don't necessarily have to listen to it first, though. I don't really think we have any spoilers for Part 1 in this episode. But if you feel it works better for you, just hit pause, go catch up on Part 1, and we'll meet you back here for messages from our listeners on the shifting dynamics of assembled families, the royal family dramas of Wakanda, and we'll ask just how hard a deal do parents receive in the MCU. We'll also take a look at a Stan Lee moment on the theme of family and finish with a mindful moment in the MCU. Shall we begin? Uh, These two messages really kind of go together. Uh, From Mary Megan, she says, I think the concept of chosen family resonates with me the most. I value my friendships more highly than blood relations because I choose them. I appreciate that even though there is a core group of Avengers, other people cycle in and out. It kind of reminds me of the Scoobies on Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) I think this approach to chosen family is realistic because people aren't in our lives forever. That's a, an interesting thing, you know, coming off of our earlier conversation about, you know, the commitment of family. Um, and also I have to say, I love the Buffy shout out, huge Buffy fan over here. Um, and, and it's true. They have their core group and they do have a few that cycle out, but, um, but I mean, really in my mind, what, what takes, certain characters and makes them a part of the Scooby gang as different characters come in is that commitment is saying like, no, I'm, I'm going to be there forever. And of course, family is not something where you have to be constantly physically present. Um, it is something where, you know, we often have our family as a launching pad, right? We need our family so that we have the emotional, physical, financial, whatever support so that we can, you know, pursue whatever we want to pursue in our lives um, and then come back later. Um, but I think you do need that emotional commitment, um, for something to be family in my mind. I think that makes sense. Um, and I often, I I mean, the, the comment from the reader definitely resonated with me. And, um, I think it's probably really important to keep in mind that many people can't stay with their biological families. Like many people don't have that option. We see this all over the MCU. Um, And so for those people, family is always going to be a found family. It's always going to be a chosen family. Um, And so, so that, that was my first thought is, was actually less about the MCU and just about the the world we live in where so many people don't get for, for whatever reason. Um, 
don't get to don't don't have the option to stay with her their you know biological family forever um and they you know have to build their own they have to assemble their own yeah and the thought that kind of occurs to me is that there the family is never ever just kind of one thing especially if you're talking about family you're dealing with different individuals who are um especially as they grow older are at the center of many different webs of relationships. And so the connections they might have have a difference. Like some people were in, if we're, if people forgive me talking about uh, Buffy and the Scooby gang for a while, um, you know, some people had the direct relationship to Buffy. Others kind of, they were there because of Willow or Xander, you know, and I think the same is true in the Avengers. You have, you have the little cohorts, that are more strongly attached to Steve or you have the Hawkeye and Black Widow um, connection and Hawkeye had a strong connection with Wonder. And so you have these different kind of relationships and different circles that cycle in and in and out. I think that was what made the uh, final scene of Endgame or the final battle in Endgame so special or even the last part of the final battle where we see all the Avengers, you know, in the broadest possible sense all coming together. And we do see these little units, you know, you have uh, Tony and Pepper fighting side by side. um, And and you do get to kind of quickly revisit all these little families within the family. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not in a dissimilar to a a traditional family either. Right. You have your aunts and uncles and you have, um, you know, whoever married your aunts and uncles, which I would still consider my aunts and uncles. But, you know, some people don't. Um, Some people consider that, you know, my my aunt's husband or. Of course, like within my larger family, like me and Corey are still something. Yeah. You know, we have a bigger family. You guys are essentially brothers. And then you have your um, other family members who are maybe like he he has his cousin and his cousin has an older sister who Nick does not consider a sibling so much. Right. right? No, we're just not as close. But the two of them have their kind of unit. uh, Yeah. And then, like, I have Jack and Max, That's my right. little brothers, That's and right. we're close in this way. And, and I if have you Nathan. were ever battling, I'm sure they would all come with whatever weapons they could find to help you. I would, I would hope so. In a so. traditional family, right? That's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> No, you're kind of joking, but you're kind of not. And I think that's what, to me, that's always been one of the things that I've thought is really important about family is, you know, when someone's under, when someone's in danger, when someone's being harmed or under threat, you kind of drop what you're doing and you go to their aid. And I think that's a useful way of thinking about what the boundaries of family are. And so, yeah. um, So, yeah, when, when, you know, when Steve's all alone, when Tony's all alone, you know, or when, when, you know. The big three are fighting Thanos. Everyone drops what they're doing and they're coming. Even if they're not directly connected, um, the family kind of comes to their aid. And that's what makes family different from just friends who we might not expect to, to necessarily yeah, to sacrifice, to put their lives on hold to come help us fight our battles. Yeah, absolutely. Look at us learning about family from the MCU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kind of, it's a one big family reunion. <laughs> I've gotten a, a message on a similar theme about Agents of Shield, um, and it's it's from Sean, uh, who also wrote to us about Agents of Shield last episode. It is her thing, um, and she says, "When in the third to last episode of Agents of Shield, Daisy is sharing her sadness and worry with Mac about the team." She has called family for many years, going their separate ways. 
Mac reassures her that they will stay in touch, and she laments, it won't be the same. He replies in that beautiful calm way he has, no it won't, but that's okay. That struck a true chord with me when I first watched that episode, like they were talking directly to me. The end of my favourite TV show was nigh, and I was trying to come to terms with losing something that had been a big part of my life for over seven years. You could say that those characters had become a form of found family for me. Familiar figures to return to and engage with when I needed them, teach me life lessons along the way. But Mac's response to Daisy's struggle applied to me too. Things change, time moves on, and we can miss what we had, but change is inevitable, and everything must evolve. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. family served a purpose for both Daisy and me during our 20s, but as we grow, what we need from a family changes, and that's okay. You guys are my family. I don't know who I am without you guys. Daisy. No, it's... You know exactly who you are. It won't be the same. It won't. That's okay. Well, that's a really insightful um, message, you know. Yeah, what a beautiful thought. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. You know, we all have, I think we all have these experiences when our TV shows end um, or books end or whatever it is. And we've developed these really deep emotional connections with these characters that we've learned so much from. And and it's kind of funny how I, I hear in this, this message, um, I think we all kind of try to downplay it a little bit. Like we, we think it's silly, um, but you know, I don't think it really truly is because we are learning through these characters. We're learning about ourselves and we're growing through these characters. And it, you know, comes back to the purpose of this podcast, right? You know, we are um, reflecting on the the larger meaning of these shows and movies. And um, it's just really something. It strongly resonates with me because um, I think I've always been an at both and kind of person when it comes to kind of birth family and found family, both are important to me in different ways. And I think going back to being a teenager, my youth group kind of were my found family and we were pretty, really tight through our late teens and early 20s. And then with different groups as I was growing up and those were family. And I guess they still are, but the relationships are different and it's okay that we don't see each other at all. It, it'd be pretty impossible that these people who now live all over the world would ever be in the one place at the one time. Like Shan says, that, that's okay. That's right. And I'm sure you all wouldn't have been able to pursue the things that you pursued, you know, or are pursuing now in life if you hadn't have had those meaningful relationships before. Yeah, and that's one of the things families do. They provide a foundation to build on. It's not always guaranteed that it's going to be a good one, but you'd hope kind of with found families, there's more of a chance that it will be. Yeah, we we had a little bit of a a funny like parenting moment with our seven-year-old when uh, our then 19-year-old moved out of the house and the seven-year-old was, was like, wait, why? Like, why isn't he living here anymore? And, you know, we're like, well, this is normal and healthy and, you know, pursuing independence. But 
um, you know, I think it's so hard to relate to when you're seven years old and you haven't, you're still building that foundation, you know, (laughs) it's, it's like a totally alien concept that the purpose is actually to do something greater and to move beyond that, you know, um, traditional family and, and grow and create more connections and pursue new ideas. The things you learn when you talk with kids, you know, definitely. A message from Michael. I quite like how family is explored in Black Panther. We see how much of a strong bond T'Challa has with his mother, Shuri, and the relationship he had with his father. So that's with his mother, with Shuri, and with his father, T'Chaka. His relationship with his father was perhaps the strongest of all. And I feel like it's partly because of this, T'Challa is a good person with the potential to be a great king. What's really interesting about this is that it's vastly contrasted with Killmonger. He doesn't seem to have a mother around. His father was killed, and for years he could never return to the place where his other family is. Which is why I feel it's not surprising that when he claims the throne, he is a terrible and corrupt king. That's that's interesting. Um, I think there are a lot of different, you know, directions you can go with that as far as trauma or... You know, also kind of when you were saying the um, kind of training that goes into being a, a ruler, you know, I think that's kind of a, an interesting concept as well as as an American, especially, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, just like this kind of uh, monarchy idea of like training somebody to rule. And if, if that imbues them with some kind of, uh, uh, I guess, a better they're better equipped to make moral decisions or responsible decisions. Um. Yeah. I, I definitely think the movie is setting us up to, to share this sense of, from the comment that, you know, a lot of what drives Killmonger is avenging these past traumas. And he isn't able to just, because he doesn't have that opportunity to love and to be loved that he does come to the world from a, place of a lot more you know i don't know what we want to call it aggression anger he's working Um, out his issues first and foremost yeah and i mean i don't want to minimize the larger sort of um legitimacy of his perspective on racism and inequality so that's not to say that um you know we can't take killmonger seriously as, as someone who's thinking about the world and the way it's unjust um but I do think there's also this this subtext with him of, you know, uh, the loss he suffered when he loses dad and the loss he's, you know, suffered when he loses home or when he, you know, he's, you know, he's exiled as a child. And that's a choice. And that's a choice that T'Chaka or that T'Challa, you know, and T'Chaka are both having to work out and uh, neither one of them is totally happy with it. Um, you know, neither one of them, I think at the end, thinks that that was the right thing to do. Yes, it actually reminds me of another message from a listener, kind of that I can't place my hands on right now, but kind of where she commented, I wonder how different things would have been if T'Chaka had taken Eric back to Wakanda with him. It might have been a very complicated relationship given how T'Chaka's relationship with his own brother had ended but maybe it would have provided more of a stable base for Eric uh, to explore kind of some of his 
frustration and discontent, to put it mildly, with the world he'd been gr- brought up into. Maybe things would have been different for a T'Challa too, growing up with a, a cousin alongside him. That would be a really brilliant what if episode. <laughs> um, that would that might be the heaviest, most emotional what if episode to date if they were to do that one. Um, yeah, what if T'Chaka had brought Eric back? Wow. Yeah, then the question is, how does he grow? How does he develop? Who is he after, you know, a life in Wakanda among the royal family? Is he more like T'Challa or is there still, you know, does he still, you know, have some of the sympathies that we see in the film? Yeah. And would T'Challa be more like Eric? um, It takes a lot for it. uh, As good a person as he is, it takes a lot for him to start getting involved in the world beyond his borders. And maybe Eric can bring that out sooner. And maybe that's not, you know, something that he's doing. You know, that's something that he's doing throughout his young life, you know, as the Black Panther before he's also the king. Yeah. I, I think we saw something of that in What If, some of the potential once T'Challa went beyond his borders, beyond the borders of Earth to see a much wider universe. He he was a young man, a young person making a real difference to the point of the whole MCU looked vastly different yeah. just because he had a quiet word yeah. with uh, Thanos. That's a really good, I hadn't thought about that contrast between his, you know, his canonical self and his self in that what if episode is, he's very engaged. That's yeah. right. He's leading the charge to make the galaxy better. Yeah. I know. I thought that was an interesting, um, very interesting, like what if, um, cause it, I mean, it, it was like, um, mm like magical, you know, so many things changed because of that. And it, it, I don't know. I mean, it kind of leads you to think that, you know, the T'Challa we meet in the Black Panther film, like has a lot of untapped potential because look how much good he could have done if he were really outwardly focused. You know, he literally stops Thanos uh, in the what if episode. Yeah. By, by talking him out of, you know, universal genocide. Uh, Yeah. Um, which is kind of a funny way to think about T'Challa's that I've never thought of like, oh, wow, he could have done so much more. But I guess that's sort of the point of the film, too, is at the end of the Black Panther film, he realizes Wakanda can do a lot more than we've been doing. So, sure. um, But I hadn't made that connection to the What If episode. Yeah, I, and now I'm just feeling sad because we're losing out on so much of that potential of that character because we're losing out on the potential of seeing what else Chadwick Boseman could do kind of maybe both with this role and other roles i have one last message and this one is from a listener who identifies herself as mama jill and she takes a very different tact can i say representing put upon parenthood that my concern with marvel's representations of families is what bad luck it is to be a parent in the mcu (laughs) they're fearfully hard on parents spider-man dead parents while young and then his substitute father his uncle gets killed iron man dead parents while young quill early death of mum and only finds his dad late on and in traumatic circumstances Thor has a unreliable dad but a loving mum so of course she gets killed black panther has a great dad so he gets killed wanda and pietro's parenting very complicated depending on age of comics films but basically MIA, they are so hard on parents. So um, I I think that's so true. 
but it also goes to show how um in my mind all of these all of these films and comics you know they're really about um us as people needing to work through these issues and questions um and i think we often need to imagine um they're not being apparent because because we're trying to think of uh, a world in which we're totally independent and yet we're still able to work through these problems and these complications. Yeah, I struggle to think of an example, a counterexample to uh, to this one. I, I think there are also some a lot of invisible parents in the MCU. So we know everything we want to know about Tony Stark's dad, but we don't know anything about Steve Rogers' dad, as far as I know. Um, so, so, you know, when the parents are presumably, are they, are they, you know, are they presumably okay? We see nothing. We don't see just, uh, a parental relationship that's kind of loving and, and boring. Well, um, it's not parental, but, um, Peter Parker's aunt, Aunt May, Aunt May. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a relationship that is a very healthy looking relationship, even though there is you know, it's rooted in a lot of tragedy, you know, Peter Parker losing his parents and then his uncle, um, their dynamic is, is portrayed as very, very, they've got a good dynamic, but like, can you think of a bio parent who's just, you know, doing okay? I mean, maybe like Clint Barton has his biological family that, um, are presumably restored after, uh, the events of Endgame. Um, but, but that, I mean, that might be the lone example of a biological family where, you know, mom and dad are together with the kids yeah. And, yeah. and no one is a horrible person and no one, no one leaves their child traumatized as far as we know. Maybe we'll find out more in the Hawkeye series about that. Yeah, I, I think it does seem to be going to be touched upon, doesn't it? Uh, just viewing the trailer, I think there's particular kind of lingering shots on uh, the oldest daughter, Lila Barton's face as she realized dad perhaps it isn't going to be home for Christmas. And actually, he's going to be jetting around New York fighting crime with somebody else's daughter. And then there's uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. One of the things that stood out to me last night when I was watching the film was the way the film starts with Hank and Jan being called away in the middle of a hide-and-seek game that Jan's playing with a young hope. And it's that kind of business meeting, in air quotes, um, secretly a Cuban Missile Crisis style adventure they're going on. I think in many families, there's always the parent who is there but not around. I know that my dad's work kept him very busy and away from home a lot of the evenings uh, when we were kids. And um, my kind of mum found that very difficult and I'm sure that's the same for a lot of families that's true there's there's no perfect parent out there so and maybe, I think yeah an important part of of growing up is realizing these very flawed interactions in your mind are just your your parent being a human person in this world and yeah mom I missed you so 
much. I missed you too, Jelly Bean. It's okay. I'm, I'm here now. We have time. No more last-minute business trips, okay? <laughs> I promise. Yeah, and I think Amman and the Wasp also make the case for you make things work, however things have to be, because what Cassie has in terms of a parenting team is is highly unusual in some regards, and not so much in that she has step parents, but just that her dad was in prison for a lot of her childhood, and the tendency might be to say, "Well, that's really unfortunate." That's a difficult childhood. And yet she, she's such a happy kid. Um, and kind of she clearly loves both her dads and her mum. Uh, and I, I think going back to what I was saying earlier about just the relationships between Scott and, and Maggie and Jim, you know, they, they get on and they support each other and they're in each's corner. So I, I think there's a case there for saying whatever your family dynamic Kind of whatever the realities you have to deal with is maybe about how you kind of approach it, how you handle it. Yeah, maybe that can make a lot of difference. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I can't think of a sort of, you know, quote unquote, better family in the MCU than, you know, the constellation that you described. So, so yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the grand lesson about family in the MCU is... Yeah, I'm sure it just gets more interesting because there's Uncle Luis as dad's wacky housemate. Um, <laughs> and then there's going to be um, Uncle Bill and strange cousin ghost <laughs> right. as well. So the constellation keeps growing. That's right. Takes a village. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Stay with us as we move into the next part of our show where we discuss a Stan Lee moment. Each episode, we pick one cameo in a Marvel movie or show featuring that silver-haired mastermind behind the Silver Age of Comics, Stan Lee, that resonates with our broader theme. Today's Stan Lee moment comes not from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but actually from the Disney animated feature, Big Hero 6. Now, Kerry, Nick, how much do you know about Big Hero 6? Well, we have... um... We have kids, so we've seen that movie a number of times, I would say. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I really appreciated the Stan Lee cameo at the end, which I, as if I remember correctly, is an in, in, is a credit scene or a mid-credit scene. Um, and so, you know, and I, I remember being aware at the time of, that we were watching it that it was a Marvel property in some sense. Um, and seeing all these wonderful similarities between the characters in that film and sort of iconic Marvel characters. But then to have Stan Lee, you know, stro- stroll in um, and that scene was really special um, and and really, you know, connected. I love this choice for this podcast because it does feel like, you know, this very much belongs in the larger collection of Marvel cinema because we have that that one relative who's a part of that world as well. Yeah, um, I'm going to just throw out a few facts about Big Hero 6 for anybody who doesn't know. Uh, It was created by Steven Seagal, um, not the movie star, but um, one of the Man of Action team who created Benton 10. It was created by Steven T. Seagal and Duncan Rolo. Um, It's quite different in the comics. Uh, They're a Japanese superhero team. 
while in the movie it's in the fictional San Francisco, which is kind of like a blended Asian and American community. Um, in the comics, they're led by long-standing superhuman Silver Samurai from the X-Men comics. And instead of being a cuddly healthcare provider, Baymax is a synthetic bodyguard who transforms into a dragon. But the movie itself is all about family, both birth family and found family, and coming to terms with loss. And if you haven't seen it, I can recommend it. It's an A-plus film. Definitely. I think it was when I was ill with COVID, that was the first movie I, I put on just to comfort me. Oh, yeah. The thing that really struck me about that cameo and thinking about it in terms of family was um, was actually about how silly of a moment it is and how much meaning you get in those silly moments. Um, Nick and I have this dynamic where he's the silly one and I'm the like, focused, you know, going to get it done person. And, um, and, and I will often find myself like frustrated because I'm just trying to get through the day, you know, and I have to make myself take a step back and appreciate that that's actually the foundation of the relationship is having fun together. That's the foundation of our marriage. That's the foundation of our relationship with our children. And so I, I was just kind of really struck probably because of my own baggage about how it wasn't just that he found that his father was, you know, a part of this life path that he was on, but also that they were able to bond through laughter over it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it kind of, it's very endearingly goofy. Yeah, that's right. But serious at the same time, I mean, he's, you know, so we get this character, he's, and I always forget his name, but he reminds me of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, which yeah. I don't know if that... uh if that um, dates us, yeah, that dates <laughs> us a little bit. But um, but yeah, he you know, and he's he's reminiscing about his dad, and and he's saying, "Gosh, I just I wish you were here. I I want you to be proud of me. You know, I want I want to share my pride and my accomplishments with you." And so we start off on this very serious note, and then here comes Dad, and it's Stan Lee, which is just such a wonderful um, you know uh, surprise at the end of the film. And and he realizes, oh, my gosh, I have this in common with dad. But then they share this funny moment, this bit about, um, you know, reusing your underwear. Um, and, and I mean, every kid watching is going to laugh at that scene. Mm-hmm. And um, it's got so much of that exact kind of heart that family has. Dad, I just wish I could share my accomplishments with you. You mean so much to me. And honestly... I've always felt a distance, what with you being on the family island all the time, and I just wish you could see how. Inside out. out. Then, then I go, I go front, front and, and back. Dad! We have a lot to talk about. And those are the things that kids remember. Those are the moments that they remember when they're older, you know, that really mean something to them and carry them through tough times. So it's always the times when you laugh. It doesn't, you know, 
doesn't matter if I get the dishes in the dishwasher so much. Well, I mean, you still need to do that. Eventually, uh, but you know. To stick up for the serious side of our yeah. family, like we do need to get dishes washed and laundry folded and that sort of thing. But yeah, the, but you also need this this big dose of that kind of fun and that kind of humor. Um, so so yeah, that was a, such a special uh, Stanley moment. I'm, I'm really glad that you chose it for this episode. Yeah, it's, it's just so endearing uh i mean it i think it means a lot to the fans it means a lot to me that he's just so willing or he was so willing to to cameo in so many different things so so sometimes i got the sense that he was like granddad um kind of photo bombing at every opportunity (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was nice to kind of i I suppose establish that family connection between big hero six and the rest of the marvel studios that's right. It really does say like this is a part of that same family, you know. Um, and so because here's this, you know, patriarch of the family showing up. And so you realize, OK, we're related. Um, you can watch Big Hero 6 and that is a relative of, you know, the Sony Spider-Man movies and the MCU films. And, and it's so neat. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Cause he's in all of them, isn't he? Kind of going back to the Incredible Hulk um, TV show. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched Teen Titans go to the movies. No, but that's very obviously a DC one with Robin and Cyborg and Starfire, but Stanley cameos in that. And he's just like, I just love cameos. Here I am. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's his literal line. (laughs) Oh man. And now from the delightfully absurd to the reflectively sublime, join us for a bit of an experiment as we take a mindful moment in the MCU. So, because we're recording this before I've actually released the first one, I'll say that in that first episode, we also did this same kind of mindfulness practice, this same kind of contemplative practice that's called Florilegia, which comes from uh, an ancient monastic practice where the monks who are renowned for copying down ancient texts, both scriptural and kind of secular. And they would carry like a little notebook in their pocket, which they would write down words that sparkle to them. And in a sense, that's what we're doing here. We're going to take a a quote, a phrase from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that sparkled for us, that really connected with us on the theme of family. We'll share a little bit about why we chose it, and then we will kind of try something a bit different with them. So who would like to go first? I could go first. Um, My quote was um, from Loki. It says, Oh, mighty Thanos, I, Loki, prince of Asgard, Odinson, the rightful king of Jotunheim, Jotunheim, (laughs) god of mischief, do hereby pledge to you my undying fidelity. Um, and I chose that because that is the moment when Loki chooses the last name Odinson and it, it symbolizes him choosing his chosen family back. That's beautiful. And I think you were saying earlier when we were prepared that although he's ca- alleging that he he's swearing his allegiance to Fa- Thanos, he's really saying, no, this is where my true allegiance lies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it's a really powerful moment. And it's his full self. He is the king of the Jotunheim, but he is also Odinson. 
That's really beautiful. And I hadn't really considered it that way before you shared it, Carrie, so thank you. And I actually chose one related to Loki that is also a bit, you know, requires a bit of unpacking, I think. So I chose um, um, uh, the a line from the play Loki commissions when he's posing as Odin. Um, and it's uh, a line spoken by the, the Odin in the play. And he says, uh, you know, after Loki's death in the play, on that day, I did not see in you Asgard's savior. No, you were merely a little blue baby icicle that melted this old fool's heart. And I think that's a really, at first, it's a, it's a line that's sort of corny and it sort of illustrates, okay, this play is a little overstated. But then when you realize it's Loki there and who's commissioned the play, who's written the play, I think it takes on a whole new meaning because it's it's you're seeing in Loki's innermost desires. He wants Odin to love him in that way. He wants Odin to 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 see him, you know, as sort of uh, um, to to he doesn't want to be second in Odin's mind. He's expressing what he wishes his dad would say to him. It's beautiful. Um, and and yeah, he's an adopted to, to, child and, to be seen for who he is, which is not, you know, of Odin. I guess what's the race? It's not an Asgardian. Um, that he is the blue icicle, but he's loved for it. Yeah. Yep. And and so I just think that tells you so much about family and about, you know, the ex- the experience of being adopted or being an outsider in a family um, in that way. Because you're seeing what he really wants. He wishes just dad would say, you melted my heart. Uh, and it's really like Tony at the beginning of Civil War, kind of where he's reframing reality using barf. This is just the Asgardian version of that. Yeah, that's that's right. Oh, wow, right. Matt, that's such a big insight. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And it kind of makes me think, well, what do the people around me want to hear? What what do they need to hear? What what can I offer them that's real um, and meaningful? Yeah, we probably all need to ask ourselves that more, more of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What do they wish we would say? Yeah. What did you choose, Matt? So I chose, it's almost two lines, really, because it's the same sentiment said by two different characters in the first Ant-Man movie. The first one, I think it was first said by Maggie, um, Cassie's mum and Scott's ex-wife, when she says, you're her hero, Scott. Just be the person she already thinks you are. And then I think it's later Hank says, Second chances don't come around all that often. I suggest you take a really close look at it. This is your chance to earn that look in your daughter's eyes, to become the hero that she already thinks you are. It's just this idea that Cassie thinks the world of Scott. She doesn't care that he's been in prison. She doesn't care he's been gone. She just cares that he's there. He's her hero. In the second film, she, she wants to fight crime alongside him. And as much as it is unhealthy to have children, to meet some kind of need in yourself, there is that sense in which the younger generation and the way that they see you reframes who you are and who you could be. I'm not somebody who has daughters or sons of my own, but I have an a small army of nephews and nieces and I was at my brother's wedding last week and he has inherited a step family and um, through that wedding he's married into 
the step family. And so I have step um, nieces and even great nieces now. Um, and um, I ended up being a, an honorary flower girl because my oldest great niece wanted to stand next to me rather than next to the bridemaid. So I had to kind of figure out how to be the person who helped her to throw the petals at the exact moment. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, and <laughs> Just the way she, she looked up to me, the way my nephews and other nieces look up to me, it just really challenges me to be the best me that I can be. Each of these kind of, kind of reflects a beautiful moment in the MCU. I wonder if we could try something a bit different now. If we each read our quotes in turn, perhaps we might see if juxtaposed, placed together, they bring take on any new meanings. Oh, mighty Thanos, I, Loki, Prince of Asgard, Odinson, rightful King of Jotunheim, God of mischief, do hereby pledge to you my undying fidelity. On that day, I did not yet see in you Asgard's saviour. No, you were merely a little blue baby icicle that melted this old fool's heart. You're her hero, Scott. Just be the person she already thinks you are. This is your chance to earn that look in your daughter's eyes, to become the hero that she already thinks you are. That's interesting. I I um hear in that with both Nick and mine the idea of um a pledge, I guess, mm-hmm. a, a pledge to your family. And then um, that turning into the need with, with yours, Matt, the idea that we commit ourselves to our families and we, we come through for them. We deliver to them. We're obligated to them. Yeah. Um, and the idea that that's kind of what defines family really. I think that's right. With the melting heart sort of in the middle. Yeah. Bridging the two, the pledge and and they melt our hearts and, Right. They in turn need us. And... and for me, there was that sense of. I'm trying to find the right word for this. It's not quite an expectation. It may be more perspective. Each one's about how they see the other person and what they could be. Um, seeing a little blue icicle. Um kind of possibility of being the savior um and which is what loki tried to do and he tried to in that final moment try to be the savior and although perhaps it didn't achieve anything as grandiose as saving a whole people he perhaps saved for yeah yeah i think that that's right i think um i think both of your quotes are, are very much like um, forward looking or aspirational, you know, it's an ask. Um, Loki is asking his, his dad to come through for him. Um, you know, there's the ask of Ant-Man to be the, the man he needs to be. Um, and this, my quote about Loki is actually about the fulfillment Mm -hmm. of, of him actually coming through for his family. Um, so it kind of comes full circle in a way. Yeah. I think they're all about Knowing ourselves in relations to others, mm. um, you know, trying to figure out who we are. Knowing what others need from us. Yeah. Um, I think that's what family is, is ultimately figuring out who you are by, you know, figuring out how you relate to these other people you care about. Yeah. 
And I think for me and the challenge in there is to see other people, especially those you're closely related to, in an expansive way, in not too confining way. I, I think one of the dangers of knowing people really well is, well, the axiom is familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. And we can think we know our family members, kind of we know all about who they are and what they can be. And yet, like my experience with my sister earlier, kind of sometimes you don't even know kind of what they're going through at that moment. I think the challenge is just to recognize that they can be whatever, kind of whatever they, whatever sounds very blase, but just, I think, very sweeping. Just they could be so much more than you you could imagine, or they could just be exactly who they are right in front of you. And yet you, you still need to get to know them for all the mysteries that they contain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, the thing that really jumps out to me that I want to try to enact in my own life more is just really trying to hear and see the people around me, not just think about them through my own lens, but really be, be more present in the moment. It's a good goal. Thanks. I won't do it with you though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for taking part in that uh, mindful experiment, as it were. Um, we have time for just uh, one more um, section. And last, last time I shone a spotlight on a local comic store. This time I'd like to shine a spotlight on a creator. And Nick, would you be that creator? <laughs> sure. Although now I'm really intrigued. Now I want to know about the comic store. Um, <laughs> so I am a political scientist by training and um, I'm on the faculty at Duke University. And one of the projects I've worked on recently is an edited volume um, that's uh, tentatively titled The Politics of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And in that, um, my co-editor, Dr. Lily Gorin and I um, have assembled uh, 25 chapters from political scientists um, and scholars of politics and scholars of cinema. And um, we have tried to pull together some of the big political lessons in the MCU. It's sort of an anthology, so each chapter is written by a different author on the topic they specialize in. And um, we try to sort of um, give people a sense of how politics and society are portrayed in the MCU using the tools of political science and political theory, because we think, you know, this uh, media franchise is unprecedented in history and its scope and its influence in the world. And as we, you know, just as we've seen in this podcast today, it sends us so many messages about so many important topics. And since we all care about politics and government, um, and, and questions of distribution and justice and fairness, um, um, we have asked uh, so many of our wonderful colleagues, um, what does the MCU teach us about the political subject that you study that you're an expert in? And so it's it's everything. So we have um, chapters on, you know, Tony Stark as a, a emblematic of classical heroism in, in Greek literature. We have chapters on the representation of gender um, uh, in the MCU. We have uh, chapters on how the MCU embodies like different social anxieties facing the world and the villains they've chosen. Um, and we even have a wonderful chapter titled Avengers Assemblage, 
um, that deals with the question of family assemblages in the MCU. So it's it's a a book that I think will be interesting to a lot of readers. Um, I was very proud to work on it as an editor, and I even have a chapter in it on how the U.S. government is depicted in MCU films. So uh, I hope it'll be out in the next year or two. And when it is, uh, Matt, I'll be sure to share it with you in case any of your listeners are interested. Absolutely. I cannot think of another book that was more kind of written with me in mind. So I'm really (laughs) looking forward to reading it. And with that, I want to thank you both. Uh, Thank you, Kerry, and thank you, Nick, for coming and sharing in this conversation, for bringing from your wealth of experience in, in this area. And yeah, and just for dreaming a little bit with me about what family could be through the kind of prism of the MCU. Well, thank you so much for having us. This was so much fun. It's a first for us. We've never done a podcast <laughs> together. Um, and Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to think these issues through with you. And thanks so much for giving me an excuse to talk about the MCU with Carrie just a little bit more. <laughs> You're very welcome. Marvel Moments is a human happening podcast. All excerpts from movies and TV shows are copyright Marvel Entertainment and Disney and are used here for the purposes of criticism, review and quotation. Special thanks go to David Shaw for the creation of our epic theme tune, The Moment Has Come. To AJ, the soundest guy who edited this part of the show. To Ella Grace, who tirelessly proofreads and corrects our transcripts. To Jacob, who knows what he did. To Mary Megan, Sean, Michael and Mama Jill for their thought-provoking messages, as well as to Hilla, who gave us the stunning idea of what if T'Chaka took Eric back to Wakanda. To Kerry, Nick and Alex Carnes for joining me for this two-part discussion on assembled family in the MCU. And finally, to you, our listeners, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please do hit like, subscribe and or follow and all buttons of that nature. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would really help if you left us five stars and a review. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at our Marvel Moment and on Instagram at Marvel Moments Podcast to be notified of upcoming episodes and to join in the conversation and look out for our holiday special episode coming very soon.